Hi guys, welcome to the podcast. Before we start, we just want to introduce you to our sponsor. Our sponsor is the Twitter handle, at MugsNFL. They're a company that offer a range of custom items, such as mugs, t-shirts, crewneck jumpers and hoodies. All customised with your favourite sports player or your sports team. That can be any sport, ranging from the NFL through to the NBA to UK sports. All you have to do for an extra 10% off your order is drop them a message on Twitter quoting our podcast that is the hardwood hoops podcast and now get 10 percent off your next order cheers and enjoy the show hi guys and welcome back to the Hardwood Hoops podcast. This is episode two of the podcast. I'm joined again, as always, by Ben. Hello, everybody. Hi, mate. Are you all right? Yeah, very well. Thanks. Yourself? Yeah, all good. Thanks. All good. Thanks. Just wanted to start with a uh, quick message to everyone saying thanks for the support so far on episode one. I think we've both had some good feedback, haven't we, mate? Yeah, it's been good. I mean, I can't believe we got at least one listener episode one, let alone the amount we got. So thank you very much, everybody. I hope you enjoy it and stay with us. Yeah, exactly. We're um, live on a few more uh, podcast apps now, but as as we grow in terms of which ones we're on, we'll let everyone know. But we've also got a YouTube, which we'll be tweeting out on our Twitter page, which is at underscore Hardwood Hoops. So follow the Twitter page and you'll find all of our links to all of our socials. Right. So on to the podcast, we're going to start with some just some general news. Um, I'm just going to start so far. So um, a little bit of news this week. We've had a lot of uh, information in regards to the NBA return. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to note out a little bit of news. There's uh, increased optimism that saliva testing could be introduced, hopefully by the time the NBA gets to Orlando. Uh, the only reason that would benefit people is they can have multiple tests a day without having the whole um, cotton bud or whatever up your nose and up your throat. It's just a simple spit test, and it's 80% accurate, so it's not as good as a normal test. But they're hoping if they can introduce that, which they're trying to do in the NFL, if they can do that by the time the NBA returns, it might just mean more tests. Uh, and similar to what we said last week, Ben, the more tests, the better. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it may be only 80% accurate, but it's a test. It's not as invasive of, as in the mouth and up the nose. So you can do that, you know, multiple times a day if you need to, multiple times a week. That is, I think, on balance, a much better way of doing it. Because, you know, like I said last week, it must be horrible for the players to have that procedure every single day so um, I'm all for this I think this is great definitely good news yeah that was a bit of positive news we had in regards to the return Um, obviously there's been a bit of negative news as well this week in regards to maybe player opinion um, whether that's star players like Kyrie Irving or um, apparently a lot of rumours that a lot of young players don't want to play Uh, and I've heard from the um, Zach Lowe podcast that around 40 to 50 of the players that are scheduled to go currently are showing signs of not wanting to go but apparently they're all from more of the bottom eight to nine sides so no one in the top eight of east and west has shown any like any issues of coming back but it's more the teams at the bottom of uh, both conferences really that are showing signs of not wanting to come back which isn't really a surprise I'd say is it no it's 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 an interesting one I mean um because to get where they've got to so far the players union has gone forward and agreed with the plan so far and now to have 
X amount of players come out and say, well, actually, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm, I'm thinking about not going. How have they been able to represent the players from the league and go forward and say, yeah, we're all happy with this, if not everybody is happy with this? And at the same time, Adam Silver has quite rightly said, look, if you don't feel safe and you don't want to risk it, then don't come. We don't want you guys to put yourselves out there, which, again, him being him is phenomenal from him. And every player has the right to protect themselves and not want to do certain things. And that is absolutely fine. I completely get it. I just find the link between the players' union and the players maybe isn't quite as clear as we think it might be. Yeah, I think we could be seeing some uh, issues in terms of players' union being represented by a lot of the higher-profile players, you know, in terms of like the people like Chris Paul, I know, who's one of the um, main uh, people on the panel. Yeah, I think it's people pleasant. like that. Yeah, he is, yeah. So that they share um, maybe different views to some of the lower players. Maybe the younger players almost don't want to speak up in certain environments, but then when it comes to media reports and speaking to the press and not having to give your name out, maybe maybe it's a bit of a different vibe rather than standing up to your own uh, team leaders, which is a shame, really. You'd hope that people, like in time like this, they could speak to their their team representatives because I know for example um Powell is the um sorry Powell is the one for the Mavericks you'd hope any Mavs player could go to him for example and suggest maybe how they feel but if your representative is maybe Chris Paul or it's I don't know LeBron James or someone with a bit more stature across the league maybe some younger players just feel feel nervous but hopefully they can stop that hopefully this story getting out can maybe a bit more unity between the different factions of players yeah fingers crossed because the you know, the last thing we, we want is players, more so next season, refusing to play and causing another sort of lockout, especially with everything that's gone on. You, you kind of want to get back to that normality as soon as possible. Yeah, and we said last week, like Ben just said there, and obviously we, 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 we share the same opinion that if people don't want to play, they shouldn't play, but we're already at high risk of um, teams losing players due to the actual virus. So to go into the tournament with less players themselves... Might be difficult, and this, this to be honest, is one of the arguments for not actually bringing more than sixteen teams, because you've got a team like the Spurs, for example, the Marcus Aldridge this week. He's had uh, been announced he had shoulder surgery, so he's out. Why does um, the Marcus DeRozan want to even go to Orlando? They're almost too many games behind. They're not going to make it, um, and without Aldridge, they have less of a chance. But he has to risk potentially his life, in his opinion, maybe, and his family's life. Um, or even just his general mental health in terms of being locked away for another 45 days away from his family. Um, I can definitely see how extending it out like they've done could cause some of these issues, to be honest. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's it's a real tightrope, isn't it? You could, you could fall either side of it and sort of be happy and disappointed with the outcome at the same time. It's, it's very odd. Yeah, it was a tricky situation. They wanted to try and give some some warm up games, but also have them have meaning in terms of regular season. But it's a very fine line they've they've drawn in terms of how many teams should come. And like we said last week, maybe twenty teams would have been fair. Just cutting off that that the, maybe the Suns and the um, the Wizards, just for an example, just to to get the number of people down. Because apparently, a lot of these teams are the ones that don't want have all the players that want to play. Yeah, I guess they still feel like they've not really got much to play for. No, no. I think it's quite difficult for a lot of them to make the even make the playing game. And I think that's causing the issue. Like, what, what is the risk-reward factor for, for some of the players? 
Um, and then obviously the other issue that's not necessarily virus related or um, with the families or with themselves is the fact that some players are voicing concerns because of the timing with um, the Black Lives Matter movement. They think going to play sport for everyone, going to play sport for a large majority of white viewership could be seen as being a negative, whereas I've seen other players come out and say, no, I think the fact we'll have all eyes on us could be a positive and we could stage protests and talk candidly and, and interviews and show some, some, some unity. I, I fall on the side of playing actually might help the movement, but I could see why some players would think maybe it's a slight distraction, especially if they're not a certain player who's going to be in the limelight, if they're like a ninth man of a team, for example. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, again fully in support of either side you fall on this i agree with you i think this is a huge platform for players to go you know you're gonna have tens of thousands millions of viewers this is your chance to step in and say look everyone's focused on me i'm gonna put my point out there and try and educate some people but at the same time people don't want to some of the players don't want to have that distraction of playing basketball they want to see this movement through until there is some results and instead of going and playing basketball which i completely get the the tricky thing with that is when this is going to take years to change unfortunately so when when's when's your cut off when do you come back to playing you know the game you love the way you make money and i feel the other issue with this is potential possibly the way it's come out because let's face it Kyrie Irving's public speaking has um, turned some heads in the past and mm-hmm. some people don't find him very favorable or want to listen to him because of some opinions he's shared in the past um, but he is the vice president of the players association apparently he's been on calls with about 80 players who are all sharing these concerns and these issues, and quite rightly so, and he is the one voicing them. And I think in this is this instance, people should listen to him a bit because he makes some incredible points. I just think people are a bit put off whenever Kyrie speaks now because of things that have happened in the past, which is a shame. Yeah, I think he's a good role model for the league in terms of he's very willing to speak out. But I think speaking out on certain matters in the past and maybe the way he's done it is just could lead to some people thinking is. I know it's not. I don't think it is the Kyrie show, but he's he's come across like that before, and I think people might see it as oh, it's just him trying to, do you know what I mean? Be different, trying to speak against the other players and like higher players. Like he was always had issues with authority. Whereas I actually think this time he's potentially in the right, but like you said, it's just maybe from the wrong person. Yeah, which seems so harsh saying it because, you, like you said, he, he is an inspirational player and a great person for all intents and purposes. But it's just, yeah, that public speaking in the past, isn't it? And, you know, other players have come out. Uh, Dwight Howard, one of them, he, he came out, he quoted, uh, I agree with Kyrie. I would love nothing more than to win my first NBA championship, but the unity of my people would be an even bigger championship, not basketball that we get no basketball till we get things resolved which like i said is an amazing sentiment but how long is that going to be i know we've still got what six weeks until that first start date which i'm sure we'll we'll come on to in a minute um so there's there's 
you know, maybe the NBA can come out and say, look, we get it because they've been doing so well lately at this kind of thing and say, if you come to Orlando, here's what we're going to put in place to help this movement along, even though you guys are playing, that might turn some heads around and get people back on board with the idea of going to Orlando and playing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It could be seen as um, a bit of a ploy almost to get more players there, but I think it would be a genuine move just because we know, like you said earlier, we know what Silver's like. We know, we know his moral compass is pretty good. Um, but also, as bad as it sounds, when I was listening to the, um, the low podcast that said that number of 40 to 50 players, none of them were in top five seeds of either conference. Wow. So if we're honest, those 40, 50 players probably will have absolutely no impact on how the championship itself, it will obviously impact regular season and maybe how bad an eight seed is versus a one seed. But with the actual championship, it very rarely comes from someone outside the top, the top five of either side. So I think it's more of a, an optics issue, like how the league looks rather than affecting the performance of the actual basketball we see on the court. Yeah, no, I completely get that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, go on. It just it is very, another intensely interesting situation that again, whichever side you fall, it's got its pros, it's got its cons. It's, it's such a complicated point in time, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And a bit of breaking news before we went on the, the podcast was Donald Trump has uh, signed an executive uh, in terms of um, chokeholds and police violence. Um, there's more details to come on it. We don't have it all yet, but he's officially signed it and put it through Congress. So maybe there's already some some sort of positive result from such horrible uh, incident that we've, we've already seen now. That, you know, it's a step in the right direction, isn't it? It's small steps are going to get us to that big goal that we want to get to. Yeah, and I think these NBA players could definitely help get there, which, which, whichever way they choose, to be honest, whether they choose to play or not play, I think that'll be key key factors in terms of how this moves going forward. Yeah, massive inspirations, and they need to use that now more than ever. Definitely. Cool. And a couple of other bits of, um, bits of news. Before we go on to the dates, like Ben said, I think Ben's got some dates for us. Another bit of news that come out of these recent conversations is it's not confirmed yet, but they're thinking of allowing players to um, teams to sign players of anyone who has been in the NBA for the past two or three seasons. So, for example, if they did grant that, like I said, it's not confirmed yet, but they're in discussions about it. Um, we could be seeing players like Cousins, JR, Jamal Crawford, Isaiah Thomas, Trey Burke, people like that. Um, Jeff Green, I think, was one as well, um, who are currently not attached to a team but could re-sign for a playoff team. What are your thoughts on maybe the rule itself and who you're excited to see maybe come back who hasn't played in a while? Love this rule. Get Jamal Crawford and Jeff Green back in. Can't believe neither of them... Well, I, don't, I think Jeff Green was signed early, wasn't he, and then cut. But yeah. he's, I feel he's so underrated. Um, love Jamal Crawford. Just an absolute joy to watch play. Um, the, the other room I heard building off this is the Miami Heat are very interested in signing DeMarcus Cousins as a sort of, you know, backup role for now with the sort of vision to give him heavier minutes next season, get him into shape, get, you know, get a little bit of weight off him and make sure the legs are 100% and really kick on with him, which I think brings a real another sort of string to the bow of the Miami Heat, a real versatile team with someone like DeMarcus Cousins really, well, bring him on the bench. 
they are looking dangerous if Demarcus Cousins is is healthy. Yeah, I agree. I think that's another reason why the eight games are crucial. If they're going to implement this rule, teams like the Heat are going to want to use Cousins for those eight games. And last week we spoke about um, Noah in terms of maybe his lack of impact on the court, maybe more impact off the court. But I think Cousins is almost the opposite. I think if they can get him right, I think that they could turn them into a team that maybe could go from a second-round Eastern Conference team to battling out with the Bucks in the Eastern Conference final. You never know. Yeah, definitely. I think like that list of players, you know, you could get a starting five out of that. It's mm-hmm. is incredible incredible amount of talent that's not currently signed that could go anywhere. I know Nate Robinson is potentially fishing around for a for a bit of a contract somewhere as well <laughs> if he can. Which as always. Is, it's always great to see. Yeah. Good energy. Great locker room presence. Great energy. You know, I, I'd quite like to see that again. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's there's definitely some good players out there, and I think, like we said earlier, with the virus and also with the the, the prospect of people not playing due to uh, Black Lives Matter or the virus, um, I think the be- more players they can sign outside that want to play and that feel safe to play and they're happy to play, I think, I think that's a good thing. I think the only factor could be, I believe they're obviously only taking 17 players to Orlando per team. So if it's going to be a case of signing one of these players due to an injury, for example, or someone getting the virus, if they're they're out for 10 plus days, um, I believe the players have to quarantine. So then I think you have to really pick your choices well, because if a player's coming into Orlando and he's quarantining for seven days before he plays, then he's only going to have two days notice to play one or two games. And then you've got to decide what to do with them long term. I think someone like Cousins, that, that it wouldn't work for you. It's not enough time on the court. Maybe someone like a JR could come in last minute if someone like the Lakers or Clippers needed him but I think you have to choose your players carefully in that, in, in that instance yeah definitely you know come down to the training staff and the scouting team and um, making sure yeah making sure everybody's fit and ready to ready to go and you hope they will be because you, you don't want to see players coming in getting injured or coming in but only playing one game and leaving and you know it becomes a bit of a mess then a bit of a fuss but I'm excited about seeing, potentially seeing, some of these players get re-signed. It's, it's great news. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they don't want to increase risk by letting more people come into a bubble for a one-day, one-game scenario just because because they haven't had enough time to gel in or or if they're not the right player. So I think it's definitely important to get that right. And we could also maybe see um, JR forgetting to shoot in a crucial shot in round one of the playoffs like we did uh, in the last few years. When you said signing JR last minute, I had some horrible flashbacks. Absolutely woeful scenes. That, it's that a good meme. It's a good meme. Haunt me. But uh, there we go. That man. Um, how do you feel about uh, the tweet from uh, Patrick Beverly on LeBron uh, James? Hoopers say what y'all want. If at King James said we hooping, he's hooping, we all hooping. Not personal, only business. Stay woke. To you, how does that come across yeah, to yeah. you? Um, well, I think he's he's mentioned it before. He's quite financially motivated, so I think it's more in terms of the best player in the league. Well, maybe the best player, the most important player in the league for sure. Um, wants to play, I think. 
that's almost a go sign for the league, isn't it? And I think Beverly's just highlighting that look, if you don't play now when he wants to play, the league's going to start. It's like the league will start if LeBron wants to start. So if you don't come along with it, you're not getting paid. That's that's what I see it as. But what do you think? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I know they've got a, a real intense rivalry. A nice picture been going around recently of um, Pat Beverly basically clotheslining LeBron at the rim. Um, and, you know, they're on rival teams now. It's Clippers and Lakers. Pat, Pat won't want LeBron walking into a ring that he could potentially have. Um, so I think if LeBron's playing, Patrick's going to be there to try and stop him winning another title. Um yeah, yeah. I, I think don't... it's also just uh, a slight dig in terms of if he wants to play, the league's going to start almost like the league almost idolizes and Molly coddles James, whereas like the rest of us, they don't care about. Like I don't think that's true, but I think that's the way he might see it. Yeah, I think you potentially could have hit a nail on the head there. He he could certainly feel that way, and we all know now though it it is a players' league. You know, the players have do have, for better or for worse, so much power. They have the power to sort of almost demand trades or coach changes or, you know, teams are built around the players um, nowadays. So there is a bit more power for the players and that is something we have to sort of deal with and cope with and you kind of, yeah, have to go with it. If someone, if he says they're going to play, then yeah, the league probably is going to go ahead. But it wouldn't be, yeah, just him it's going to be it's going to have to be the majority the, the players union like we said earlier have to agree to everything so it could just be Patrick Beverly trying to have a little dig have a little stir just see what kind of reaction he gets yeah I agree yeah I do think obviously got the side that he's very close to a lot of high profile players so just in terms of his connections it's almost like it's not only him that wants to play but it's like if LeBron wants to play then he's probably had a conversation with multiple all-stars that also want to play it's I think the truth behind it would be more of that, but Beverly can just use it as a, a jibe, I think. But also, we LeBron's almost the face of the league, and taking it across sport, I'm a, a Kansas City Chiefs fan, and uh, the NFL didn't release a statement on George Floyd until um, Patrick Mahomes, who's the face of the NFL, came out and did a video on Twitter about it. The next day, they've released a whole new policy. They've uh, done a statement, and they did their own video, saying they, they um, agree with all the players, which they've never done before. So I think face the league matters. I think it's player power, like you said, isn't it? Yeah, makes huge difference. And if it's to make positive changes like that, then I'm all for it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then the last item of kind of news-based, I guess, a bit more positive in terms of uh, the NBA's plans. I think, Ben, you've got some uh, new dates maybe that we've seen put out there in terms of uh, the, the plan and when we're going to get back to basketball. Yeah, tweet from uh, Shams. So... Dates he's got here, July 30th to August 14th, is that? Seeding games. And then August 15th, 16th is the potential play-in tournament. Um, August 17th, the playoff begins. August 30th, families and guests, like we said, arrive for that sort of playoff thing. So you've got 15 days there without them, those people coming in and making sure everything's safe. Uh August 31st to September 13th, conference semifinals. September 15th to September 28th, conference finals. And then September 30th to October 13th, the NBA finals. How do you feel about the date 
slight shuffle. Well, it's brought forward by a day, the start date, which is uh, good. This is better. It's a day quicker. <laughs> doesn't make much of a difference. That. But um, overall, I, I still think it's a long, long time for someone to be quarantined at Orlando, even if you can't be a family for a certain period. Um, but I think it's just the, the only way they're going to do it. And if you want to play, you want to win a title, I just think, like we said earlier, that's something you have to do. And if you don't want to do that, then don't play. And that's equally just as fine. But yeah, I think date-wise, anything that jumps out is a little bit earlier. Um, and obviously, the fact that their families can come once we lose a load of players from the, the teams that don't make it, which makes sense, almost replacing the people that have left. Uh, and then just a long time um, to be quarantined down there. What about you? What What do you think from what we've seen? Yeah, like I said, uh, earlier the better for, uh, for fans, definitely. Yeah. Um, long time quarantined, I agree, especially coming off the back of potentially like three months quarantined. You just get a bit of freedom back and then you're chucked back into it, um, which frustrates me now that, you know, people, oh, whoever wins this is going to be asterisks. You know, it's not going to count. It's not a real championship. But I'm starting to think this could be the hardest one to win ever. You you don't have your home comfort. You're in an intense environment for three months where you can only see your teammates, essentially, for that amount of time. And you still have to go out and perform every other night to a championship level to win. No fans as well. No fans, exactly. I think this is going to be tough for, for anyone to win. I do not think you should count this season out as, you know, a flash in the pan or, you know, it's not going to count. It's not a real one. This is tough. This is so difficult. And whoever wins it, hats off to them because that is an incredible feat. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think it must take some more of a mental um, fortitude than it did before, as crazy as that sounds. Like, we're going to go on to talking about the last dance, obviously. Uh, Michael Jordan, crazy mental strength. But even looking at that old example of going away and winning big games, I think almost winning big games in this environment after this long of a break could even be maybe if, if it's not if it's not harder, it's just as hard as a normal season. I'd say so. Yeah, I agree with you. There should be no asterisks on this season. Maybe just in terms of hey, look, this is impressive. The players came all the way back and played these games and got sport back on TV to make a lot of people. Uh, happy, which it will do. It'll be a big mental health booster for a lot of the play- people that obviously aren't players, they're fans. Uh, I think so. It should be an asterisk to say they've done well rather than to say they've done poorly and just played for no reason, you know? Yeah, completely with you on that. Um, yeah, and like I said, with the dates also, we know that this is pushing next season back. Um, we've no confirmed start. Well, all these dates can still change. They have said that if something happens. Um, but We've seen no confirmed start date for next season, but it looks like a December start date, not the Christmas one that we thought, like originally. Like I said, it's going to be early December because of the Olympics next year. Um, but I don't see that being an issue. I, I do see uh, I do see it being an issue for rookies next year because that's a lot of time because the draft's getting pushed so far back. It's a lot of time you don't even get to work with any of your new coaches. I think that's something people are, are not considering as much. Yeah, I think... I, yeah, last one I heard floating around was December 1st. Um, yeah, it's going to be with an October draft as well. I think. Yeah, it's a really odd time frame now. It's just pushed it all slightly out of whack, hasn't it? And we'll see. We'll see how it affects. Yeah, like you said, the rookies, the players, the, the coaching staff, the, the time it takes for everybody to gel and to to get 
back on the on the horse and, and get going again, fighting for another championship in which will potentially be, I guess, a, a shortened season to to make sure we're still we're back in line for full season next season. I also heard that they are still contemplating no fans for the whole of the whole of next season, which is I think they said forty percent of the the league's revenue will be going out the window if they they go for that for full season, um, yeah, which yeah. will be huge for the league and for money going forward, for players getting paid, and for fans. Half the enjoyment is going to the game, isn't it? You want to do it. You want to be there. You want to be in the atmosphere. Watching it live on telly, you have that atmosphere. I guess this in Orlando is going to be a bit of a test ground for no crowds and see what works best. The pumping noise in, blah, 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 like we spoke about last week. But it's, it's you know, it's not going to end with this season, is it? It's going to it's gonna carry over for years to come. Yeah, I think there's going to be a long-term impact financially a few years. But in terms of no fans, I think, like you said, yeah, this season, next season, are at risk of that. And then after that, I think there'll probably be some normality. Um, I do think once the NFL gets going, because they're planning on doing it with fans, uh, not full fans, but the rumours are 25, 30% stadiums, I think. I think you could see maybe the NBA switch their stance next season, but they're just going to monitor, aren't they? Like I said, one of the issues that, that's arising now is we're seeing rates rise again in places like Houston and in Orlando. So I think we should have to keep our fingers crossed that things calm down again in this six-week period and then they can reassess it at the end of the bubble and see what we do for next year. Yeah, fingers and toes are crossed for that one. Definitely. Right, cool. So that's all the uh, the news and the, the items we've got really on the NBA return. Um, so now we're just going to move on to talk about the last dance. We've got a couple of topics. So we're just going to start really with our our overall thoughts on the last dance. And then we're going to go with our favourite episodes. So I'm just going to start it off by saying it's probably the second best sports documentary I've watched. But that's because I'm a Leeds United fan. There's one about them. So I'm very biased. Realistically, it's probably the best documentary that's been uh, produced. The most access I've seen from non-soccer slash football documentary. Um, and I think every episode was amazing, to be honest. And But the last two episodes were just uh, the ice on the cake for me. I just think they were absolutely incredible moving on to those last two seasons and the big shot that we all know about and uh, the thoughts of how it all ended afterwards. I just think the last two episodes were just phenomenal. And they capped it off nicely. What are your thoughts on maybe the whole series, but also your favourite episode or two? Uh, I think production value, incredible. So, so good. As you'll probably come to sort of realise, me and Liam are also very into our films and uh, our TV shows and stuff. And getting on the nerdy side of that, I thought the, the production value was amazing. They cleaned up the game footage you know, the interviews were crisp and clear. It was all set perfectly. It ran smoothly. The story was clear to follow, even though they were jumping back and forward. I thought that was brilliant. I thought the format of two a week was great. Gets you hooked in, talk about it at work. We can't wait for the next one. It's rather than like releasing it all at once, shotgunning them back to back and not remembering what happened in each episode, which I've done a lot. I'm guilty of with certain series. Um, how do you feel about Jordan giving the okay for the documentary on the uh, the day LeBron won in Cleveland? 
Do you think it actually made a difference or do you think he was going to do that anyway? Uh, probably made a difference. <laughs> we, I think we see throughout the documentary he's a man that cares about other people's opinions or more about other people's opinions of him or people compared to him more than anything, to be honest. I think it probably did have a big impact. I um, People will probably realise I, as I start to talk more and more on this show, I think I'm quite, um, quite a big fan of Bill Simmons and the Ringer podcasts. Uh, and he was actually at ESPN, well, before he start, started the Ringer. So you're talking 10 years ago. And that was obviously when they were trying to release this the first time. Uh, and he did say how many times it got turned down just by Jordan with certain stuff that we won't go into, but family-wise that he didn't want shown. Um, so I think, I think the timing was very, like you said, I think it was very crucial to why he decided to release it. But also you probably find that they also finally agreed to everything that he wanted in a time period. You know, I think the two will work hand, like hand in hand. He wouldn't have said yes if they hadn't already agreed to every single thing that he wanted to be taken out or put in, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I think you're right there. Uh, I was going to ask you, actually, um, you mentioned the the you like the format. Uh, a lot of people didn't like the uh, flitting back and forth between seasons, especially the episode. I can't remember which one it was now, but um, there was an episode where at the start of the episode, Rodman was beating the Bulls with the Pistons or trying to beat the Bulls with the Pistons. Uh, and then at the end of the episode, he was winning a championship with the Bulls. Um, and you know, almost side by side, scene wise. Did you did you see an issue with that, or do you think that's more just certain people's taste? I think it's got to be taste because I think that was like that's the the Rodman one, episode three, and that was one of my favorite episodes. I loved seeing him going at it with Jordan, and then being on the same team as him, looking at his crazy antics. Uh, I I'm, I was I was a big fan of seeing the contrast between the two the two errors almost, you know, first three versus the second three and, and what it took to win each one. I, I I was a big fan of it. I can I can understand. Yeah, I think going back to like you said, the, the Rodman stuff as well. Obviously, we're, we're quite, well, people don't know, but we're the same age. Um, and when Michael Jordan was around, we were very young. So I didn't even know that Rodman went to the Spurs in between. Now I knew that. I was thinking, God. <laughs> He is not a typical Spurs player. It made much more sense when he left the Spurs and went to, to the Bulls. That is for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, like I said, we'll get on to favorite moments and things. So I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of the format, but I can I can see how potentially like maybe non NBA fans could struggle with the back and forth. And I, I thought he played for that team, and I thought he played for that team. But so you do sort of have to play a bit sort of careful attention I guess when it's switching I thought for a story that you know most NBA fans know they were very good at building tension towards the end of episodes and making you want to come back to the next one or come back next week I thought that was brilliant really hook people in especially for those non-NBA fans yeah definitely yeah I think they had attention for everyone I think it was really cool to learn certain things that like, I think I'm quite a good, um, knowledgeable person about the uh, NBA, but even I was learning so many things just in terms of like the dream team, for example. You know, when they um, they were playing against Tony Kukoc and <laughs> they were basically embarrassing him just because he signed to, to go to the Bulls the next season. That's something that I didn't even know happened. I'd watched them, I've seen them win the gold medal before on YouTube, but I never, obviously, just watching the game, you weren't thinking, oh, right, those two players are trying to shut down him because of X reason. Yeah, uh, I found that I find that I found stories like that little inside stories really cool, and um, I knew that Scotty didn't want to come back into the game 
for that um, that shot where they didn't give him the final shot and they gave it to um, Tony. Um, but obviously, I'd never really seen any footage of him on the sidelines and hear Phil Jackson take it, uh, take him out and talk about it. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was some very honest footage there as well. If you can uh, read lips, it's uh, yeah, verbatim there, isn't it? It's it's very good. One of the things that frustrated me though, although those last two episodes were incredible for the story. Um, this series was meant to come out in line with the NBA Finals, wasn't it? So the last yes, was, yeah. couple of episodes, because it was released early, were rushed slightly through production. Um, and I think they cut short or cut out a big part about the Jerry Krause stuff. Because I felt in the first one to sort of six episodes, they were really building this confrontation and this tearing apart of the team and him and Scotty and all this kind of stuff. And it was briefly mentioned after that, but not into as much detail. And then in the final episode, Scotty kind of mentions, I don't blame Jerry Grouse for all this. He was just doing his job. It, it suddenly flipped. Like, Scotty hated him. Absolutely mm-hmm. hated him. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's not really his fault. I felt like they were setting off this sort of Massive payoff where Scotty sort of understands the business of it all and maybe he spoke to Jerry and all this kind of stuff, but it just kind of flipped. But, I mean, that's my only kind of major <laughs> grumble with the narrative of the of the documentary and story. Apart from that, I can't really fault it as a whole. So, yeah, I do agree. Um, maybe the flip between the first six episodes and towards the end to do Jerry Krause but I just wonder if it's because when they tried to record it um, release it sorry the first time um, Jerry Krause was still with us whereas now he's passed on and obviously Jordan was um, basically in charge of creative control I wonder if he wanted to switch the end of the documentary away from Krause issues and more back to him and more the confidence that oh no we would have won seventh ring if they'd have let us play put it on more of a positive spin and more of a spin if I'm honest it's focused on him rather than Jerry yeah it, it's the Jordan documentary at, at the end of it isn't it it's got to be about him and his legacy and, and what he achieved which I think they captured really really well I think it's a great series but that's us talking about it as a whole are there any sort of specific standout bits for you like a, I don't know a top three <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, cool. So top three. Uh, if we go one by one, then um, in no particular order, uh, I think probably the Steve Kerr story was good. That's um, on. Yeah, is that on your list as well? Is it? Yeah, the punch. Yeah, the punch. Oh no, I was no. I see two different stories. You, I was thinking more of the Steve Kerr family story, and then how he hits that shot um, um, to win him the title when. You know, they Jordan's go into the huddle, yeah, and Jordan says, oh, yeah, Steve, this is your shot. And Steve Kerr pretended and was like, cool. Like, yeah, yeah, cool. Got this, yeah. Like, relax, even though he was nervous as hell. <laughs> um, I think that was a cool story. I think, if I'm honest, that was quite an emotive story. I think Steve Kerr, who I personally love, he's one of my favourite coaches ever in sport. He's such a good person. He always speaks up against people like President Trump. Uh, he's a big uh, person for Black Lives Matter. So I've always loved Steve Kerr and I love the way he wants his teams to play. So it was cool to see him back then as a different person and seeing him get that first shot of the limelight. 
and um, I've had issues before. My both my parents have passed away. So Steve, see Steve Kerr's dad pass away, and then how much it meant Steve that he actually got the NBA for his dad. That was a really cool story for me. But I think your story is good as well. I think the punch story is funny. <laughs> it's great because uh, you know it, it's very much highlighted. Take what you want from it. If you think he's Jordan's a dick, or if you think he was just extremely motivated, that story of him in practice, especially when you see Steve Kerr next to him. Steve Kerr is small compared to Jordan, and Jordan keeps pushing him and pushing him and pushing him, and Steve gets up and pushes him back, and Jordan hits it. I just, I would have loved to have been there, and then, and then to have Jordan get pulled aside by Phil Jackson just to show you how influential Phil was. You know, he's telling the biggest athlete in the world he needs to leave, go sort himself out and, and make up for it. You know, I, I love that. I just, that Steve Kerr episode, uh, I think episode nine was great. Like you said, I, I love Steve Kerr as well. So I'm, I'm all for that. What have you got next? Uh, yeah, quickly on the Steve Kerr thing as well, though. He's got his own podcast as well called The Flying Coach. Uh, and he was talking about he's, it's with um, Pete Carroll, uh, who's an NFL coach for the Seahawks. And he was talking about that punch episode. And he did say he remembered it slightly differently, almost that Phil didn't kick him out. And Phil just like invited him to his office and just said, you need to go apologize to Steve. And like they kind of just hugged it out rather than this big thing. But apparently the documentary and Michael remember it as that Steve fully kicked me out. Whereas Steve cursed, uh, whereas Phil sorry kicked him out. Whereas Steve said, oh, no, I just saw it as a quick meeting in the office. And then he apologised and we were all good. <laughs> so it's quite funny to see how people remember different things. But Steve said he was probably concussed from the punch. <laughs> <laughs> well, building from that, there's been a few grievances about this, hasn't there? A bit of a backlash from certain players that were in the documentary. In particular, Horace Grant, even Scotty's come out and Rodman have come out with a few bits where they've said it's been made to look a certain way or to favour someone over someone else, and they're not massively happy with it. No, you can tell it's very pro-Michael, can't you? And if he was more in favour of one person over another, then I think the story might be leaned towards another way. But also, people don't want to look bad. So if they're being made to look bad, it's very easy for them to come out and say X, Y, Z, or maybe if people aren't in it enough. For example, Horace Grant was a key member of the first title side, um, when you look at statistics. And he's barely mentioned until he gets to a part He's mentioned, but they more mention the fact of trading him away and then mentioning the fact that he snitched to the reporter more than the amount of rebounds he was getting and the fact I think in one season he didn't miss a single game. Um, so I think it's almost like, look, it's the Jordan Doc and someone like that's going to be jealous. But yeah, I think Horace Grant definitely had a, something to, to feel, feel annoyed about anyway from, from what I read. Yeah, but, he, um, uh, he was an inter- he was the the first three Pete Rodman wasn't he and didn't yeah, he was. barely got a mention about the the basketball stuff like you said his two biggest moments were potentially allegedly snitching to the press and being traded yeah yeah I think I think yeah something like that but it's almost well I, I actually think they could have done another four four episodes and stuff like that could have been in it and I think they think it might have been overkill but I actually think especially with the timing of the release with COVID and lockdown and no sport, I think actually they might have been worried it was too much, but I actually think another four probably could have fitted. I mean, definitely another two. I think they could have got more people in like that, but obviously yeah, hindsight's love, a wonderful thing, isn't it? Love to have heard more about, 
you know, they did the Ku Coach one, which was great. They've done the Steve Kerr one, which was great. Why not do a Luke Longley or just look at some of the other balls that are around? I want to know, I yeah. guess that's because we're basketball nerds. We want to know more about the whole team, not just the stars, because I know Michael's story. Um, or even but, the Jerry Krause episode. Yeah. See well, more yeah. from his thing, from his family's point of view. Obviously, even talking about the fact he's not here with us, that's not even mentioned, I don't think, in the documentary. No, I, yeah. Can't remember them saying it. No, so but what have you got? So we've got one one each really there for Steve Kerr. What have you got for um another great moment that's not that one? Uh mentioned it already, the Dennis Rodman episode. Absolutely love that. What a madman. I uh, just need a couple of days off mid season, go to Vegas, get out of my system. And everybody said, Okay, yeah, sure, go for it. Knowing full well they weren't gonna get him back after a weekend. And it that- that was funny when Michael said that. He said, I can't remember the phrase. I, I, I can't remember what exactly he said, but he basically said, like, look, you and I both know we're not getting him back in three days or whatever it was. <laughs> it was funny. Just to hear that, you know, he wakes up with Carmen Electra in his bed to banging on the door. Like, Michael's like the angry dad come to collect his son from staying out at a party. And the footage of, of, of Rodman turning up to training in his slippers and then the, the story of, you know, what was it? The day after they did that that run. And everybody was like, you better jog because, <laughs> you know, it's not us that's being punished, it's him. And he absolutely killed it. He was just a, a, an absolute beast. His fitness apparently was just incredible. I, I, I really enjoyed those episodes. I thought they were a lot of fun. Um, and... Yeah, I love the energy about it. I'm all about that. What about you? Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, I think he's an interesting character for sure. He's even been on the UK Big Brother, Celebrity yes. Big Brother, things like that. He's just like crazy character. He's had a, obviously a bit too much of an interesting life for us to talk about on here, but in terms of time, he's had such a crazy life. But yeah, I think that documentary highlights that he's just a, a wild spirit, you know, and they almost let him do what he wants to a point just to... Um, <laughs> appease the team really and to make him play as good as he can when they need him and they definitely needed him they wouldn't have won those titles without him I don't think or Michael would have struggled um, in terms of on the defensive end he'd have to do a lot more work than he did just because of Rodman helping out on the boards and stuff yeah I, I think there's no way they three-peat without, without Dennis no chance no um, so yeah a couple of other so my next one again in no order really because these are quite hard probably quite a common one is his first title you know after all those seasons of failure, which I did know, but when you see it written down, you know, it's hard uh, in terms of the, because they're doing a time frame on that documentary. When you see how many times they did fail before he actually won it. And then you think about some of the greatest players in the world now, and you think about like other teams to, that have been compared to the Bulls, like the Warriors, like how early in like Steph's run, they were, they were winning the title age wise. Yeah. And Jordan took so long to win it, but those scenes when he's hold, hugging the, the trophy and he's got his dad around him obviously he later on is like really key key story when he passes away but when yeah, when he's there that's just incredible to me I just think that was really cool and it was a lot of emotion stuff we don't you see from Jordan at the end but in the middle when he was at his best there's not much emotion apart from anger and determination and trying to win which is great but it was cool to see that release and that like pure like ecstasy he's got of winning that first ever title I thought that was really cool yeah uh, I'm Agree with that. I love the the sort of the passion you see from him, and that building from that 
one of the things I did love about this is what seems, you know, obviously some people say different, the honesty that came out with it, you know, him showing the size of him that I genuinely thought probably wouldn't be in the documentary all the stuff about his gambling and about his family and about, you know, stuff that made the press for the negative for Michael, the the things about not backing the senator and or whoever yeah. has been elected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was surprised that they were in there and I, I'm pleased they were because it doesn't make me like Michael any less. It just shows he's human. Yeah, I did find it funny how he said he didn't have a gambling problem, though, and he had a competition problem. <laughs> I think that is such a great way of defining his personality because he was. he. You see it at every sort of down point. He's gambling with someone, but it's not always... Yes, it's the competition. He just thrives off it. He he needs it. And yeah, and he so didn't he, see it as a gambling problem also just because of how rich he was. So it's almost like yeah. it's not a problem. It's, it it's a gambling problem. It's a gambling thing, but it's not a gambling problem because if I lose that 10 grand that closest to the pin against Charles Barkley on the 18th hole of golf, it doesn't matter because yeah, so what? he's so rich. Yeah, mainly off the court, actually. His actual career earnings, I can't remember what it was. I looked it up last week, but it's a lot less than you think. It's a lot less than the stars that like me and you would follow now, but the shoe deal and obviously the Jordan brand afterwards, post-shoe deal, is just crazy. Because obviously so much he can buy his own NBA team. <laughs> Yeah, obscene amount of money. Um, so yeah, that, that was great. I've got another point, and it was um, Jordan. As far as I was aware, was a horrible baseball player. But turns out he worked so damn hard at it. If he had probably not had that lockout season with the baseball, he might have gone pro. Which that was something new I learned about him. I I just thought I just assumed he was rubbish. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, see, so- that, that that was something I knew before, but only because of a week before the documentary was released. I work with um, an American lad, and he was on about hopes the documentary doesn't fail like his baseball career, standard, like, baseball MJ joke. So I And I quite enjoy um, a discussion at work, so I thought I'd Google it. And when I read some of the stats, I was quite surprised, actually. I think it was good. And then when you actually hear people talk about him who know baseball, I don't watch baseball, so I'm clueless really. But when you hear the coaches and stuff who actually talk about like, oh no, his actual like periods of play were really good at times as he practiced and got on. And you've got to bear in mind, these players, some of them that he'll be playing with have played since they were, I don't know, 9, 10, 11, 12. And they've done no break in baseball, whereas he had such a long time not even playing baseball at all. Like, Yeah, yeah. I agree. I thought that was quite cool to, to hear that. Um, but good for the Bulls, good for us, good for NBA that there was a lockout <laughs> for Monis because yes. I could have seen him if he'd have made a pro team maybe one or two years. He could have got to a point where he thought, right, I just, I've done it now, I'm a pro in baseball, whatever, I'm going to... He could have joined a title contending team, just been like last man on the bench or whatever, but I'm glad that it almost the lockout forced him to come back to what he loved, which was basketball. Yeah, just think we could have had baseball Jordan retire... Wizards Jordan. <clears throat> yeah, we won't go into any Wizards Jordan. That's a sad day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, yeah, and the only other moment um, that I was going to talk about in terms of the top three uh, is just that final shot. That final shot, you know, where they pause the camera when he hits that yeah. winning shot for the last three, for the last of the three, Pete. I think A, and obviously that ended up being his last shot ever as a bull. 
Um, I thought that was cool. I thought the actual imagery was amazing. Um, I thought the storytelling that led up to that specific bit was amazing because it's almost like you said earlier, like attention. Um, and you almost just forget. I don't know. You don't forget how good he is, but you just, you just. There's a clutch side that a lot of people obviously do say that makes him different to someone like LeBron James or Kobe Bryant, for example. Or certain moments when a team needs him, and I think it was cool for the documentary almost highlight that. I did see an interesting shot though as well, but because obviously it wasn't in Chicago that final game. Um, it was quite funny how they paused it, and there was only one Bulls fan who stood directly in the middle with an MJ jersey on. Uh, and I believe he was also the only African-American kid in the whole crowd. It was a full white crowd because it was away from Chicago. Wow. And he had this one kid stood in the middle. Um, yeah, and MJ just there hitting the shot. I thought that was real cool imagery in terms, especially the time we're going through at the moment. And basketball's linked to African-American people. And obviously Jordan now, with the donating the 100 million to the cause, for example, since all this has happened, I think it was very cool they could screenshot that image and use it as like a end shot. I think that was amazing. Yeah, it ties in perfectly to everything we've got going on. I think there is a young boy out there as well holding up six fingers as the shot goes up. Oh, that's cool. That's, again, you know, great imagery. And, yeah, it caps it off perfectly, doesn't it? And, you know, it opened, again, like I said, it shot so beautifully. It opens with him sat on the balcony of his, you know, his mansion he's been trying to sell for 10 years or wherever it is. Um smoking his cigar, sipping his, uh, apparently his own brand tequila. And oh, it that's cool. finishes with <laughs> him finishing the cigar and finishing the drink and and that sh- after that shot and, and tying up some loose ends. And yeah, a, a brilliant end to a, a brilliant documentary. I've got a quick, a quick fire question for you, though. Yeah, yeah, go for it. The flu game. Was he poisoned? Yes or no? No, it wasn't poisoned. But if anyone knows, like, who's had pizza late at night, <laughs> A, that's not great for an athlete. And B, I listened to a good podcast with, um, well, actually, Steve Kerr was on another podcast. And he was saying that if you think about it, if he's phoning someone at near midnight and allegedly there's only one place open, that place probably isn't going to be very good. <laughs> late <laughs> night pizza joint that's barely open. I just don't think. It's hard to know what to believe, though, because also I just think five people turned up to deliver a pizza. I don't think it's true. And we have apparently the guy has actually come out who worked at the pizza shop and said that it was only him that delivered the pizza and only two people that worked at the pizza shop in general. So, A, that seems that they've done a bit like hyper, hyperbole there in the, uh, the uh, story. But, B, I think it also maybe just highlights that it could have been that bad of a pizza joint if only two people worked there at the weekends in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not it doesn't come across favorably for them does it no what do you think do you think think it's a load of rubbish uh um yeah he, he wasn't poisoned on purpose he might have food poisoning from the terrible pizza joint mm-hmm. or it could just be he was up very late smoking and drinking gambling and was very hungover I don't know if you've tried to play a championship game on a hangover. Uh, I mean, I find most daily tasks very difficult when I've <laughs> had a late night and a few drinks. Let alone... I can't do 2K championship with a hangover, let alone <laughs> an NBA real championship. So, I mean, either way, it's incredible for him to play on and, and do what he did. 
you cannot fault that, but under no, what circumstances did it occur is the question, isn't it? Well, I think two points as well. You just find hilarious that if it is a lie and that he finds it emasculating, that he, if he did just have the flu, for example, and he wants to make this big elaborate excuse, I find that hilarious that he would find the flu emasculating. I think playing with the actual flu is just as impressive as playing with food poisoning. must be horrible. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy that he, if he has lied and made that out, it's, the reason wouldn't make sense. And also the other point was apparently he stayed at a Marriott hotel or Marriott, as they say in yeah. America. And I just find it unbelievable that you could not phone room service, even if they were closed, and say, I'm Michael Jordan. I want a sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just I think just, that part that I just found hard. hilarious. And I didn't really think of that until I listened to a few other people talk about it. And then I thought, oh, yeah, like he's Michael Jordan. They've given him a suite. And I believe the suite had a piano in it, but they're going to reject him for a sandwich. It's fine. No way. <laughs> I think yeah. I've even been able to get a sandwich at a hotel before when the bar shut, let alone Michael Jordan. Yeah, mad. Maybe they were just the hotel was spotting him because it was in Utah, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I was going to ask you as well what your thoughts. I thought it was cool um, in general how Pippin came across. Take away the Jerry Krause issues because I also actually think most people look at that issue and think Jerry Krause is actually at fault. If you take that whole storyline out, I think Pippin comes across incredibly well. And you heard Michael Jordan say numerous times that he couldn't do it without Scotty, which I think was really cool for 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 him to say and obviously them to uh, to show on screen. Love Scotty Pippin. Um... So glad, like you said, he, he gets some real praise in this because he was an incredible player, absolutely phenomenal. You know, potentially the league's number two player for X amount of years and six times six champion time. in his own right. Yeah, doing it, you know, taking that contract for his family because he didn't want to risk injury and, and things. And and the owner of the deepest voice known to, to man. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. And a weird setup as well, because he's almost being interviewed in front of his front door. And you think, he's got a big <laughs> house there. And he's yeah. sat on a very small chair in front of his front door. And I thought, I don't know, like MJ looks so cool with it, when they're recording him. And every time it flashbacks to Phil, he was outside, which kind of suits his vibe. Kerr was always in a Warriors t-shirt, which is like, great. And then Pippin, I was always like, you're right by your front door. It's nowhere else to possibly <laughs> film this scene. But clearly not. No, nah, he, he loves, his, loves his door. Best feature in his house. True, true. Um, and going back to those big moments, actually, if anyone, um, uh, our sponsor um, at Mugs NFL, they've started doing graphic tees. I haven't told Ben this yet, actually. Um, okay. So you can take a famous image or ask them to find one that's high enough quality. I'm not really sure, obviously, how the printing works, but um, I'm getting the... I'm actually getting that moment I mentioned earlier where Jordan's crying around that first title. I'm getting that put on a black tee courtesy of those guys so yeah remember anyone anyone any graphic tees as well just at mugs nfl use our name and you get 10 percent off ben you could get a lebron james one yeah definitely get him being carried off the floor with cramp or something um yeah that'd be good the the toss of the uh the chalk is a famous one you could get yeah that's that's, to be fair that is a great image or the block on igadala Mm. That's, I think they've already he's already started making those that was one of the prototypes they used because um, I think there's a LeBron fan that he's quite close with so they prototyped that one I've seen that actually in a photo that looks cool it'd be, um, um, it'd be nice yeah, as well yeah. to hear from listeners you know if you've got a favourite moment or a standout part that you, maybe we didn't mention or because you know this this review I guess is a bit late to the party you can always 
tweet at us or comment on the YouTube or tweet at under hardwood hoops underscore hardwood hoops. We want to hear from you guys. You know, we're doing this because we want to hear from everybody. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And in terms of images as well, any um, images you want at Mugs NFL to do, tag us in it as well. We'd love to see what cool basketball or non-basketball images you could you could uh, conjure up. Yeah, maybe cool. still still some using for ourselves. Definitely, yeah. Any Carmelo ones, give me a shout. <laughs> um, cool. We're going to end on one last thing before we sign off from the guys. Um, so future documentaries, just as a, a little quick finish. Um, apparently, uh, Ben, actually, I think you were the one who sent me this. Um, Magic, uh, he has a documentary coming out next year. And I think he's he had unprecedented access, which is the same phrase they used when they described Jordan giving unprecedented access. I think Magic apparently has done the same. And we've got a documentary next year, I think, haven't we? So uh, I... Building from what you said from the USA team, I've watched two documentaries, two really good documentaries on YouTube. I can't remember the name of them off the top of my head. And one is about the USA basketball team, which uh, goes into great detail, mentions everything in the Jordan documentary, but in more detail. It's brilliant. I'll try and find it and I'll, I'll link it on our on our Twitter page. And the cool, other cool. one was um, was Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. They did a joint documentary and it is fascinating because you know everybody says jordan saved the nba or whatever but magic and bird really brought fans back to the nba and if you watch it it's brilliant and the stuff they go into about magic and obviously he's got a um a really interesting story um this this documentary is going to be phenomenal I'm, i'm super super excited about it it's going to be really good it's going to be an emotional one as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've actually seen the Larry Bird one. I think um, they hate each other, but loved each other at the end as well, which is quite cool. They, they apologise and they become friends since. I think, which is quite cool. Yeah, they're so so close now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and in terms of other ones we'd want to see, um, so it's difficult, really. Um, maybe they, I know they've done a, a Tiger Woods one, but um, in terms of basketball, when you when you've got the boss <laughs> Michael Jordan. It's very difficult to to know who deserves one, especially of that length. Like, for example, a two hour feature is very different to a eight to ten part documentary. But yeah. I think obviously LeBron James would probably get one. Um, he hasn't had a lot of controversy really yes. in terms of some of the other off field stuff that maybe Jordan had. But obviously he's got a lot of on career st- uh, on court stuff, uh, a lot of actual basketball stuff, which would be cool. Um, but that's probably a long way off, just because they obviously like to wait till someone's retired for a while. And I think LeBron would be playing for years to come so obviously a Kobe one uh, after what happened recently I think it'll be difficult to do one like MJ because obviously if it hasn't already been filmed unfortunately we all know we can't do that now with Kobe so if it hasn't already been filmed basketball wise they'll have to use a lot of for example like studio shots from like ESPN like actual game shots that they've shot uh, and then maybe use other interviews or a lot of people talking about Kobe so it'd be a very different style but I just think A I think he was probably more loved than Jordan. Uh, B, he seems to be one of the most loved players of all time after what happened to him. The amount of outpour of love for him and people he didn't even know, like the amount of people that were like, oh yeah, you should send my kids shoes every week. Oh yeah, he'd come down and watch my daughter play. Oh yeah, my son did shooting with him in summer. Stuff that never got out into the press came out and I think there could be a real cool documentary that honours, almost honours his life, but also tells his story. I think that'd be my first choice, to be honest. I think Kobe was so honest throughout his career uh, and with 
interviews and, and talking about things. And I reckon they could really knit in those kind of interviews with that period of time. Him talking about that in an, in an interview at X year, talking about a completely different year, they could kind of sew it in really, really nicely. I, I, I definitely think they're going to do one. Maybe not to the scale of 10 part, one hour, but I think he needs one and deserves one. I think um, I have a lot of respect for Kobe and, and what he did with the Lakers. And I, I wasn't ma- a massive Lakers fan when he was there, sort of their guy. But mm-hmm. you, you cannot not respect him for what he does and what he achieves. And, you know, doing his Achilles heel and coming back and shooting those free throws. And he was just much like Michael, just so driven and so focused. Uh, what And like you said, all the nice stuff off the court. What a phenomenal guy. Incredible. Yeah, he definitely deserves one. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think basketball-wise, I think after that, you're looking at more coaches and stuff, aren't you? I think like a pop documentary could be good. A Steve uh-huh. Kerr one, because he's got eight rings now. Wow. Which, yeah, which is crazy. I didn't even know that, because he got two with the Spurs as well. Um, and then obviously his Warriors rings as well. On, on um, the rings, maybe a, a Bill Russell. Yeah, so there was one about that about him a long time ago. Um, but obviously, yeah, they could do a new remastered one. Um, obviously, stuff like that would be harder due to quality of game footage. That's why Kobe's so easy because he played in yeah. obviously that yeah he played in that like HD era, you know. So like remastering it is going to be a lot easier. But yeah, Bill Russell one could be cool. I think Wilt Chamberlain is probably the best basketball player of all time that none of us will ever call the best because we, we could never see him. Um, yeah. So he could be cool, but whether you can tie that into like an error, like a basketball doc where it talks about different players, that could be cool. Uh, obviously, a Shaq one would be good, but whether you can tie him in with a Kobe one, um, that could work to, to a point. You could always do like a, an episode per team for Shaq. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Um, and also, just a uh, final question to finish on, just wondering, did you watch the, they, the you know, that final game, uh, the game six, for Jordan when he won the title and that last one uh, ESPN actually played that whole game remastered because they remastered the whole game obviously in the footage they only put in I can't remember like eight minute clips total of the game so what they did they released the whole game again oh, wow. in like UHD but obviously with their new cameras so it doesn't follow the overhead it follows like the behind the player shots that they were using in the documentary so it's a different way but I honestly recommend people to go on YouTube or go on the ESPN player and try and rewatch that because a, the game is actually incredible. Like, Scottie Pippen's obviously injured as such an up-and-down game. But B, the way they filmed it, it looks like a movie. But for a whole basketball game, it's really cool. I recommend guys, you guys to go check it out. See if you can uh, find a link and, and throw it up there, because I definitely want to check that out. Yeah, I see there's a link on YouTube. Then if not, I have to be an ESPN player. But you can do seven-day free trial, so people can do it for free, and then you don't have to pay. Nice. Um, but it's really it's really worthwhile. They were They were going to release... I believe one from each season, but the day after they announced the return of the NBA. So I didn't know if all their focus flicked to how are we going to uh, broadcast ESPN games in Orlando rather than that. But apparently they're going to remaster more games in that form. So we'll have to watch out and see. Oh, look forward to that. Right, cool. I think that's a good place to sign off, mate, don't you? Yeah, brilliant. Been such a nice time talking with you, catching up about this documentary, and lovely to talk to the listeners. Yeah, definitely. So a little quick update. We've got 
next week we're going to have an, another podcast. It's going to be every week anyway, but uh, half the podcast at least we believe is going to be an interview with uh, Rich Barrett of NBA UK fans, which is obviously a, a Twitter page, Instagram page that I'm sure our UK fans know. Um, I know Rich personally. Ben doesn't know him, so I think Ben, you're you're excited to listen to what he's got to say about the the plans for UK basketball and his thoughts. He's a Celtics fan. I haven't told Ben that yet. So we'll be talking a lot of Celtics. So that should be good. Yeah, no, that's going to be brilliant. Cannot wait. We spoke a lot of Western Conference as well last week and this week, minus the Jordan stuff. So it'd be good to get an East fan on for his opinions. Um, uh, And then the week after, I think we're going to try and do some sort of top 10 NBA player style draft. Um, So that'd be cool. But yeah, so... Right, look forward to that. So thanks everyone for listening. Just re- remember, you can go follow us uh, at underscore Hardwood Hoops on Twitter. Um, we're also uh, on YouTube now, which you can find the link to on our Twitter page. So go follow us on both of those. Uh, and just remember that our sponsor um, is at uh, Mugs NFL. We mentioned them earlier. They can do any customized stuff for you guys for t-shirts, hoodies, graphic tees, mugs with all your players' names on, your names on, player badges, uh, team badges or whatever. So remember to go follow those guys as well. And we'll uh, chat to you next week. See you later. Speak soon. Bye.